Well, if you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn with me, if you would, please, in them to Judges chapter 2. It's a message which uh, has been on my heart of late, um, based upon some reading I was doing a little while ago in Judges 2. In Judges, 2 is part of it. Judges is a very difficult book of the Bible to read through. We talk about judges, and one of the things that most often comes to mind is what we consider the cycle of apostasy, the cycle whereby Israel is following the Lord, and then they backslide, and they turn away from the Lord, and then the Lord chastens them and judges them and and sends them into captivity, and then they cry out unto the Lord, and then he raises up what is called a judge uh, who delivers the people physically and then uh, also uh, redirects their mind and their spirit to the Lord for a number of years before that judge, generally speaking, dies. And then the people drift back into complacency and then the cycle starts all over again. And many people can relate to this. I think we can all relate to this because um, it is not uncommon for us to live in a cyclical manner as well. Uh, The Bible speaks of a daily renewal of our minds and that daily renewal of our minds is intended to combat the natural cyclical a nature of human whereby if we don't maintain things they tend to fall off if we don't uh, keep our blade sharp it will get dull right uh, this is why us not meeting in person can be so dangerous within this time um, because you are sitting there and perhaps you're listening to me and perhaps um, there are people that are normally in our church who have not joined us or are not joining us and they're not going to church and they're not joining us for 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 these and so if that's the case, then there are maybe some people who have been a month, uh, six weeks, without, um, without preaching, without fellowship. There's any number of people, as, you all, as many of you know from our church, who have not joined us on Jitsi and have not partaken in that fellowship with us. And uh, they are, are perhaps lacking in this time that. And then you add to that uh, people who might be staying home a little bit more often, and this can be a recipe for... Um, for idleness, and idleness can be a recipe for a, a slow or a fast slump into sinfulness. And, of course, God forbid. But we all perhaps can relate to this cyclical nature. Now, in Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2 is a summary chapter. It is a thematic chapter. It's a chapter that, that describes the entire process, uh, that, that the entire book will um, will encapsulate the idea of this cyclical process. And in Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers, and I have said, I will never break my covenant with you, and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? So the Lord comes up, the Bible says, and the uh, angel of the Lord comes up from Gilgal. Gilgal was the place where they renewed the covenant when they entered into the land. Uh, they uh, uh, would also, Gilgal would be an important place when, when Saul is, is made king, and it became a, a, a spiritual center, especially in early Israel. And so the Lord comes up out of Gilgal, the angel of the Lord does, and he comes to Bochim, and he rebukes the nation there. 
And he tells them that he would never break the covenant with them, yet simultaneously acknowledges that they had not driven the people out of the land like they were supposed to. And we'll find out in just a moment that we are coming near the end of Joshua's life uh, when the angel of the Lord has done this. Verse 3, Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare upon, uh, uh, unto you. So because they had not driven the people out, because they had not conquered the land as they were told, it's not as if uh, God has cast them aside, but what he said is there are going to be consequences. And one of the consequences of you not driving the people out of the land is that the people are now going to become a thorn, in the, a spiritual thorn in your side. They are going to, excuse me, they are going to become spiritually very difficult it's going to become far more difficult for you to maintain your right relationship with me because of the people of the land and the influence of the people within the land. The Bible says in verse 4, And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And the word Bochim meaning the weepers or, or weeping. And so it was a place of weeping. And it was a place of weeping because there God told them that there was going to be a, a consequence for their rebellion, for their unwillingness to do what God had said. Verse 6, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his, unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Erez, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill, Gaash. So we have this circumstance whereby Joshua leads the people, and at the end of this time of conquering, he allows the people to go back, each of them, to their land. And you can read about some of that in the book of Joshua. Certainly the conquering as well as the dispersion of the people uh, where Joshua gives them their inheritance and then he says, you go and you take your inheritance. And we read about various people groups who took their inheritance and uh, we read about various people groups who did not and could not. Uh, we read about um, Benjamin and, and their failure to take Jerusalem and, and we read about um, Dan and their failure to be able to take any of their inheritance. And we'll find in Judges that instead they moved to a different inheritance because they were unable to take their inheritance. And so we find uh, various uh, tribes that do better and various tribes that do worse at, at taking this. But then at the end of all of this, the Lord rebukes them and says, you didn't drive the people out of the land. You have become content in the land, though you have not driven the people out of the land. And that's going to be a problem for you. But during the days of Joshua, the people served the Lord. During the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, those that had seen the works of Joshua, maybe they were younger at the time, uh, maybe they were just children, or maybe they were teenagers at the time, uh, that they crossed the River Jordan, that they saw the walls of Jericho fall. And so you have a number of years where these people are living and where they have seen these things, they have fought these battles, uh, they watched the Lord do great things, they, they saw the sin of Achan, they saw uh, all of these elements. Of, of God's wonders, and, and because of that, because they saw the wonders of the Lord, because they saw the power of God, uh, they knew, right? They knew what the Lord could do. They knew what, who, who the God was that they served, and so they served the Lord, and thus Israel served the Lord. Look at verse 10. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, 
nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the Bible then describes what, what the Lord would do throughout the book, that he would uh, send enemies to come and deliver them into the hands of their enemies, and then the Lord would raise up judges as we've already described. But as I re read that, I, as I read that several weeks ago, as I read that just here, perhaps some things are going through your mind. The question that I had when I read verse 10, that the generation passed away and there arose another generation which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel, was how does that happen? How does that happen? Why had not God's works continued? Is it inevitable that unless a person, that, that, that in a second or a third or a fourth generation of people who have seen the works of the Lord, that, that, that we must all just kind of live on memories? Why didn't the Lord's works continue? Why didn't the generation that arose up after the elders that outlived Joshua why didn't they know the Lord or his works? And this troubled me. It does trouble me. And it troubles me not for the sake of them back then, but it troubles me for the sake of us here and now. As we look into the text, we find some clues as to what was going on here. And I don't even think we call them clues as much as we find context. I think there's a definitive link within this context between what God had said when he rebuked the people at Bochim and what we read in verse 10 about a generation that grew up and did not know the Lord nor knew his works. And we see a unique generational shift from one to the next to the next, a drifting from generation to generation. And it's a drifting that I think we can learn from. So you had the first generation. And the first generation was the generation that followed Joshua, the generation that was with Joshua, the generation that obeyed Joshua. This is the generation that saw, that walked across Jordan and that, that were the men of war in that time. This was the generation that, that, that was instrumental in seeing the walls of Jericho fall. This was the generation that, that, that um, got rid of Achan for his sin, that wept before the Lord when they, when they failed at Ai. This was the generation that following the conquering of the land, when Manasseh was headed back to their inheritance, when Ephraim, and, uh, uh, not, not Ephraim, when, when Manasseh was headed back to their inheritance, um, who had come over with the nation of Israel to fight their battles before going back over to the east side of Jordan. And they saw Manasseh build an altar. They immediately thought that they were uh, forsaking the Lord. And so they gathered all of the armies of Israel to go and to destroy Manasseh in order that the name of the Lord would be preserved in the land. And so we have that generation and then that generation that would follow. But that generation that would follow was the, was the generation where you began to see a breakdown. 
This generation still served the Lord, but this generation did not see a problem with serving the Lord while simultaneously allowing the paganism around them to be a part of their land, to stay in their land. They served the Lord, but they did not get on board with God's command to cleanse the land of sin. Now, this did not necessarily compromise them. Think about this idea as it relates to, say, Samson. So you have a young man named Samson, and he is to be a judge in Israel, and this is in the book of Judges. And his father and his mother, Manoah and Mrs. Manoah, they were deeply troubled by the idea that Samson wanted to take a wife of the Philistines. They said, we don't want you to take a wife of the Philistines, we want you to take a wife of Israel. See, they were living in, a, in and amongst the Philistines. The, they, their generation had not driven the Philistines out of the land. They were living, as generally speaking, close neighbors to the Philistines, but they had maintained a measure of separation from the Philistines. And yet in their child, he also in proximity to the Philistines, did not see the point of maintaining the separation from the Philistines that his parents saw. And so we have a singular generation that was separated. We have a second generation that was willing to live amongst them, though they maintained a measure of separation in themselves. And then you have another generation that says, well, this is the realm in which we live. Those are our neighbors, so I'm going to go over there and be a part of what they are. And thus we find a degeneration from generation to generation of an understanding of the Lord. And that's, I believe, what we see here. We see Joshua and his zeal. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We see in that generation Caleb, who took his land, as we talked about several weeks ago. I want that mountain, he says, and he took it. He took that mountain. He drove out the inhabitants. We see that with several of the tribes. And then we see other tribes say, okay, well, we got this section and that section, they're strong, but we've got enough now. We've got, we're, we're settled. We don't, need to, we don't need to go through the process of driving them out of the land because we're fine here. And we'll just stay in our little part and they'll just stay in their little part and we'll be okay. Just let them do their thing and we'll do our thing and, and, and that'll be enough. But it wasn't. Because in that, because in that next generation, not only did they grow up seeing, having these, these people be a thorn to them, these pagans be a thorn to them, dull their blade spiritually, but it also meant that God was not doing a work in them, which means that the people did not see the continued works of the Lord. And when you don't know the Lord and you don't see the Lord's works in the generation that has gone from the generation that has gone before, then you don't have any reason to do things God's way. And that's what we see in the book of Judges. The people did not teach. They entered into the land. They communed too much. They got too close. They didn't move the people, the, the pagans, out of the land as God had commanded. They didn't obey the Lord. That's the long and short of it. And because they didn't obey the Lord, 
they ended up in a place where, not in their generation, but in the generations to follow, the generation was described, could be described as a generation which knew not the Lord, nor the works which he had done for Israel. And God forbid that this should ever happen to us. <coughs> Excuse me. God forbid that we should ever find ourselves in a place where our children or our children's children grow up and they do not know the Lord, nor his works. And the question becomes, how can we avoid this? What can we do to make sure that we know the Lord, and that we know his works, and that our children know the Lord and know his works, and we don't have this generational degeneration from one to the next to the next, inevitably leading to apostasy? And as we consider this idea, I think of what we had been speaking about not too long ago in 1 Timothy. We're just kind of in a part of a, a Second Timothy series before everything got shut down and I started preaching topically. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we read some very important words from Paul to Timothy. Paul is exhorting Timothy to put the brethren in remembrance of various things and to, to um, preach that which is sound doctrine, to refuse profane and vain babblings and uh, old wives' tales and such. And he says in verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. See, we don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a fantasy God. We don't have a dead faith. If my children grow up not knowing the works of the Lord and not knowing the Lord, there's a twofold problem there. The natural thing that we would say is that I did not teach them, but I don't know that that's always true. You have met many a person, many a young person, who was in church, who heard things, who understood things, who memorized verses, who memorized definitions, and yet when they came into adulthood, you interacted with them, and, and you, as you interacted with them, you realized that they're quite immature, that they do not really know the Lord all that well, or maybe they're even unbelievers, as we see uh, any number of children apostatized from the church uh, uh, completely leave the faith. Or, or leave a profession of faith for, for something else. And so there's this element of knowledge, but there's more than that. There's got to be more than that. What did Paul say here? He, he's exhorting a pastor, right? He's exhorting a pastor um, to teach, certainly, but he says far more than that, be an example of the believers. Be an example in the way you speak. Be an example in the way you act. Be an example in the virtues that find their way out of your life, in your example of charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Set the bar for others to see. And see, that's not just about me being holier than thou or anything of the sort. That's not about me um, trying to become the bar that you are, you are seeking to attain unto. That's nothing, nothing like that. But there's a twofold result that comes from you and I being an example of the believer. 
First, it does encourage people because they realize that it can be done. And that exhorts people and that, 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 that lifts people up and that brings people to a place where if they have humility within them at least, they say, oh, I, I, I aspire unto that level of maturity. I aspire unto that kind of a, uh, a, a mindset. And that encourages people to keep working toward it. Now, it can go another way as well. If the person struggles with pride or if they are still dealing with a lot of guilt and they haven't been able to exercise those elements out of their life yet, then when they see a person living righteously, they feel judged. And they get angry at that person because that person is, is, is living in a way that they wish they could live, but they don't, and then they just get angry. And then, you know, any number of things can happen. But the first element of this is, is that we truly become an encouragement and we show people what can be done, so it does give them something to aim for, not for us, but for the Lord. Follow me as I follow Christ, as Paul would say. But the other thing that it does is it manifests God's power. It shows the works of God. You want your children to know the Lord? I can pump head knowledge into my children all day. But what does Jesus say? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Matthew chapter 11 verses 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 3? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. You see, there's something to be said for knowing who God is. But when you watch a person live God's way, when you see a person walking in the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, when you see the results of a person ministering in the Spirit, you cannot but know God. You cannot but see the manifestations of God's power and God's goodness in and through the people who are living it. It is my great prayer that when people come to Legacy Baptist Church, they see in our church God. Not that they see little gods, not that they see uh, our, us defining God, but that they come and they interact and they see our charity, they see our, our humility, they see our unity, they see our reverence, they see these things and because we are, are humbling ourselves before the Lord, they see God. Do your children see God in you? Do other neighbors see God in you? Does your interaction with people manifest God? Are you yelling, fighting, bickering, and arguing so much so that your children, so, so you go to church and you say, oh, you know, we're, we're just getting along fine and, and we, we've got an illness in the family right now, but the Lord is giving us the grace and we're trusting Him. And, and the people at church say, oh, I'm so glad that you're trusting the Lord. We'll pray for you and, and keep trusting the Lord. And then you go home and your children see anything but trust. 
They see you going nuts. They see you having panic attacks. They see you, you uh, looking for any and every worldly option to solve your problem. They don't see you on your knees. They don't see you trusting. They don't see you calm. They don't see you in a, in a place where the power of God is manifest in you unto this, this promise from Philippians chapter 4 that we would be anxious for nothing and the peace of God will keep our hearts and minds. They don't see it. They do see, they, they, they do see a disconnect, but they don't see God. And then, and then you heal and, and, and the, you come back to church and you say, oh, the, you know, we thank the Lord that I'm healed and that, that he had us the whole time. And, and the children say, yeah, but, but, but wh- wh- where's the connection between your healing and God? Where's your connection between your attitude and God? It, and and they, they never see God. They never see God because you never showed them God. You talked to them of God, but you never showed them God. You never showed them. They never saw the results of someone who's walking in the Spirit. They never saw the results of someone who's trusting the Lord. They never saw the results of someone who prayed and the Lord answered that prayer in a fantastic way. And so they don't know God. They don't know the Lord. Serving the Lord. We talked about it a little bit already. Jesus said in John 15 verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, and so shall ye be my disciples. God's disciples bear fruit. And the question is, has anyone ever seen you bear fruit? Have my children ever seen me bear fruit? Does the next generation see us bear fruit? How many children have sat in churches for years and they've never seen the people of the church bear fruit? This is one of the reasons why in our Sunday school hour we try to memorize scripture together. Uh, not, Not necessarily the direct bearing fruit idea, but the reason why we try to memorize scripture together is so that my children can see me memorizing scripture. My children can see me appealing to scripture for the way I live my life. My children can see the scripture bear fruit in my life that I know and that they know I know because they know it too and then we grow together. Do your children see that? I hope that one day I can bring my children along on various ministry uh, uh, opportunities with me. I hope that one day my children can see people in the jail come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because you can't sit across from someone in a jail setting, lead them to the Lord, and then over the next several weeks disciple them without knowing beyond knowledge the power of the living God and how how different he is and how different that power is from what the world tries to reproduce through their programs and through their counseling and through their psychology and through their rehabilitations. You can't help but know the difference. You can't help but see it. But who knows that? Do your children know that? Have they seen that? We've seen some things in the corporate church setting. We've, many, many of our children have, have witnessed the church talk about a piano, think about a piano, save for a piano, budget for a piano, do all those things for a piano. Then, then, see the church come together corporately to pray for a piano, and less than one week later, the Lord gives us a piano. 
Our children have, have seen that. Some of our children have seen that. What they saw there was God. They saw things working the way they're supposed to work. Have our children seen those things? Have they seen his works? Have you seen his works? And, you know, a part of this is not just that God has worked or God hasn't worked, but the other part of this is having the eyes to see when God works. How many times has God worked, but we haven't seen it? How many times has something wonderful taken place, uh, not necessarily all through great circumstances, but God has given beauty for ashes. God has turned a circumstance and, and taught you things through it. And at the end of it, you haven't stopped to say, wow, look what God did. God was in that. Do you see how God worked that through? Learning how to see God's works, teaching our children, teaching the generations how to see with eyes of faith. And then once we have shown the Lord and served the Lord and seen his works, then we tell. A wonderful example of this is Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, uh, David is writing his psalm, and it's written within the context of David having just been delivered from Abimelech. You perhaps recall David had to flee from Saul. This would have been the, 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 the primary fleeing where he went and uh, he, he went to the temple and he got Goliath's sword and he ate of the showbread and um, um, Doeg's on there, and then he flees to Gath, and, and he goes before Abimelech, and Abimelech's advisors say, ah, this is David, maybe we can get something for him, and David realizes that he's not safe there, so he feigns madness, and he drools all over himself, and, and Abimelech says, look, I don't want a crazy guy in my courts, get him out of here, and so they kind of kick him out of the courts, and David is thus delivered from Abimelech, we find that in 1 Samuel chapter 21, and within the scope of this deliverance from Abimelech, David then writes a psalm. And this is interesting because you say, well, how is it that God delivered David? I mean, David went to Abimelech, realized that Abimelech uh, was not going to be his ally, and then feigned madness in order to get away, and it worked. But it worked. And David, in that effectiveness, saw God. Let's read Psalm 34 together, and I'm going to read the whole psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. See, David had fears. He had concerns. There were some things that were potentially very, very bad about what he had just stepped into with Abimelech, but he sought unto the Lord. The Lord heard him and the Lord delivered him. David says, see, the Lord did that for me. They looked unto him, verse 5, and were lighted, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, David said, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. God, David cried unto God. He didn't just feign madness. He cried unto the Lord. He said, Lord, I need your help here. I'm in a bad spot. Help me. And the Lord heard him. 
Verse 7, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. See, David says the Lord's goodness can be tasted and seen. It can be, it's, 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 it's substantive. It's something that you can, may I use, continue the metaphor, sink your teeth into. Do our children know that? Do you know that this evening? Do you know that the Lord is good? Do you know the Lord on those terms? Is it all just head knowledge or have you seen the Lord? Have you trained yourself to see the Lord? See, if you're a believer, you've seen it. But have you seen it? If you're a believer, it's, it's there. But have you seen it? Have you trained yourself to see with those eyes of faith by which you recognize the way the Lord is bringing events together, bringing people in, into your life, con, uh, conspiring and converging things together in order to bring about the circumstances. As a pastor, uh, this is a wonderful thing to see. I love seeing it when I, when I preach a series and I start a series. I remember when I was starting uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, boy was Ecclesiastes necessary in our church in that time. I remember when I was starting Job, Job was so necessary in our church at that time. And you, you marvel because I planned my series well in advance and I marvel at how God brought about the circumstances and I say, God is at work here and I know God is at work here. And I've seen it. And I've seen it again and again and again. And I've seen how God has helped me to understand things or, or, or to notice something at the last minute that needed to be noted. And God has been good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, fear the Lord, verse 9, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Do you see his determination here? He is testifying of the Lord's goodness in his life. He is testifying of the things which the Lord has done for him. He says, come to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Verse 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Excuse me, verse 12. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cries. So David says, if you want to know how it is that you can see the Lord's goodness, do right. Of course, Peter quotes this in 1 Peter chapter 3. Keep your tongue from evil. Don't speak guile. Don't be deceptive. Don't be, don't be a liar. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. See, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. We talked about that last Sunday night. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. So if you want to be this kind of a man where this poor man cries and the Lord hears him and delivers him of all his trouble, again, we're not talking about a perfect life. We're not talking about health and wealth. We're not talking about those things. We are talking about a spiritual plane. We are talking about God working in and amongst my circumstances, guiding me in the way that I should go, bringing me to the place that he would have me to be, putting me in, in, into uh, manifesting his works in my life. And I do that through. God does that in me as I live in this manner of righteousness. Verse 16, The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Humility is the key here. Aligning ourselves with God in humility. 
And if our children, and if the people around us, if our neighbors, if they are ever to see the Lord, and if you are ever to see the Lord, and if you are ever to know the Lord, it's going to come this way. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of all of them. He keepeth his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servant, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. A tremendous exaltation of the Lord's works and of the Lord's goodness. David saying, I was before Abimelech, the Lord delivered me, the Lord blessed me, he brought me out of this, and this is an evidence of the Lord's work. If you want to know the Lord, if you want to see God working in this way in you, fear the Lord, have a broken heart, have a contrite spirit. And thus we draw people to, uh, to the path by which they can know the Lord. Their eyes have seen it, and then they can experience it. That's not what happened in early Israel. That's not what happened in the book of Judges. The people did not live out the works of the Lord. In Joshua's day, they saw the works of the Lord. And those that outlived Joshua, they had witnessed the works of the Lord, primarily for, perchance in their fathers as they conquered the land, but then they settled down. And the rest of the land was not conquered, but they still remembered it. And then when those people passed off the scene, there had been no one that knew of the Lord or of his works because they did not continue. And they did not continue because the nation lost righteousness and a contrite heart and a broken spirit. And they lost that because they had, in the generation before, left the people in the land. And so what is the call? Well, the call is manifold. The call begins, however, with us being obedient. The call begins with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. The call begins with the reality that the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cries. And then, as we align ourselves with the Lord, the next call is to make sure that we are not putting ourselves and, our, and the future generations in a place where there are still pagans in our land. Now again, this does not mean we go move into a monastery. This does not mean that we, we, we separate ourselves. We come out from uh, interaction with the world around us. For indeed, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 5, um, then we must come out of the world. And, and Jesus did not ever want us to come out of the world. He, he prayed in John 17, I pray not that they come out of the world, but that you deliver them from evil. And that's what we're talking about. You cannot invite the world into your home and, 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 not, and, and not realize consequences. You cannot keep a vestige of the world in your life and hold on to that one little part of the world and not see consequences, not have a leanness come to your soul, and not see consequences in your children. Now, as we define the world, of course, that doesn't mean that, that the materials that are in the world, right? This means the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's which defines the spiritual world. You can't have that in your life. You can be right with God and still have that land there if you've seen the works of the Lord and you already know him. But the successive generations, there's going to be a, a real battle that takes place in those successive generations. And we'll win some and we'll lose some if the world is still there. And so we align ourselves. We live out righteousness. And then we, we remove 
We remove the world from our land. We've got to keep it out of our churches. We've got to keep it out of our homes. Again, by the world, I don't mean stuff. I mean the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And then as we teach our children what the Bible says, it is validated as we live it out and as we serve the Lord in our lives. As we bear fruit, our children say, the Bible says you'll bear fruit. My parents do bear fruit. This is real. And in that authenticity, there will be validation. Now, they each still have to make a choice. But it's the same thing with our neighbors. If we don't tell, of course, they won't hear. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But if we tell but don't live, then our neighbors will never actually see the Lord. They'll hear of the Lord. Some might believe, nonetheless. But we're called to be examples in word and in conversation, in faith and in charity, in the spirit and in purity. And it's in that example that people see the Lord and they can know him and know of his works. I want them for themselves. Seek him and then find him. How are you doing this evening? Do you know the Lord? Have you come to that place of the broken spirit and the contrite heart and received the gospel that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day? according to the scriptures? Have you been born again? Have you come to that place where you've recognized you are a sinner? You've recognized you cannot earn or buy or deserve your way to heaven. You've recognized that you are not broken in spirit or a contrite heart and you've come to the Lord. You've laid yourself at his feet. You've acknowledged your sin before him and you've sought to him to be the solution. If you've never done that, that's step number one. For those of you that have, are you living out this example? Are you living out the power of the Lord in your life? Are you obeying Him? Or is there just too much muddying of the waters in the way that you're living, in the things that you've allowed to stay around you? Can people know the Lord by knowing you? Will people see the works of the Lord by seeing you? Can successive generations understand who God is by understanding the way, by, by seeing the manifestations in your life? Or are you like that generation that outlived Joshua, that when they died, they had known the Lord, they had seen his works, but they did not live in a manner whereby their children had known the Lord or seen their works. Judges 2 does not have to happen, but it often does. And it's my prayer that in our families and in our church, Judges 2 does not happen, but rather that God's people live in such a way that, I, that one another, unbelievers who might uh, come across our midst, new believers that are a part of, of, of what we are doing here, and then most certainly our children as they grow in, in understanding would come to know the Lord, to have seen his mighty works through us. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray for God's people. I ask that you would help us to be this kind of a people.
Help us to take the lessons from the book of Judges and apply them to our hearts in a meaningful way in order that we might not be a, a people who can speak of the Lord's works, but who do not know the Lord's works. Help us rather to be a people that do know the Lord's works and do experience the Lord's works in our own lives, that our children may see that, may understand it, may, may want it for themselves, and may experience it themselves. And then I pray that your Spirit would teach us how. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.